0: morning, a lot of what we'll read this morning from Hebrews chapter 8 verse 9 will be uh, remedial for those who were able to stay last week and read from Jeremiah. We'll start this morning by reading uh, with verse 7. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue In my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every one his fellow citizen and every one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Father God, once again we uh, come before you, Lord, in prayer that uh, you would hear the desire of our heart this morning, and that is to read the word and to know Christ from it. Lord, to see Christ in it, uh, to exalt his name, this person. Lord, to glorify as we just sang in the hymns. Lord, to know you, O God, and to make you known. Lord, let that be the reason that we read this morning, that from the joy of our hearts in knowing the Savior Jesus Christ, we may come into a more intimate knowledge of him, that we may be conformed even great, uh, more greatly to his image, Lord, that we would begin as sinful flesh to express those qualities that are only found in our Savior. Lord, we just thank you for them. Lord, ask that you would uh, enable us to worship and that you would be accepting of it this morning and that it would be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have to excuse me. I got to bit of a sore throat this morning. I think it's the pollen. You got some too, Nathan? Got us yesterday. So we're looking this morning again from chapter 8 in Hebrews. Uh, The thought is really being built upon in the first six verses. And then as we arrived at verse 7, we begin to see this new covenant as it is unfolded in the word Most certainly with verse 9 as we look today, but it says, beginning again, uh, for remediation and remembrance there, verse 7. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Now, the reality is that uh, this if statement is declaring something that if it had been, but it had not. In one sense, I'm reminded uh, of something that my grandfather used to say often. There's no ifs, and really the text of Scripture is declaring that this if is not a possibility and that it wasn't a possibility and it has never and will never be a possibility that this first covenant had been without fault. In fact, it was saying that it was with fault, and with that perspective, we must move into verses 8, 9, and 10, and of course through the rest of the chapter, understanding that there had been fault. But I think uh, when many people read this, they forget where the fault lies. And in fact, uh, Christianity as a whole, most certainly in Western Christianity, we most certainly forget where the fault lies. And verse 8 begins to declare that. It says, finding fault with them. And what we begin to see is, God is most gracious in presenting the word for he declares, in some to some degree, in verse seven, that there was fault with the first covenant. When in reality, it wasn't so much the covenant as the member of the covenant that is sinful man. In fact, verse eight says he found fault with them, and in, the, in declaring that fault has been found, it also produces a perspective that is uh, key to understanding who God is. It declares that fault has been found by the only one who is able to declare what fault is. The only one who we can trust to declare what fault is. Because if we think about it in any other perspective, in any other way, when someone finds fault, there's always that notion that we would go back and say, well, how dare them find fault? Because they did this and they did that. And when we have the declaration from the text of Scripture saying that God himself has found fault. We know that he comes uh, from a a glorious and holy and divine perspective of fault. And that he is not simply declaring fault that he may bring condemnation. But he is declaring fault in it that Jesus Christ may be seen. And that is what the text is seeking to do this morning. And as I read over... Verse 9, throughout the week and the weeks past, uh, as we were leading up to it, I I couldn't help but think that the purpose of this text is to know God and to make Him known. And I I believe that that is exactly what the gospel does. And, And in fact, Christ was very clear that we could not know the Father without knowing the Son. And that is the perspective that we must uh, maintain throughout the reading of the Scripture because it tells us some things that without that perspective we would sort of miss or skim over. In fact, it says he found fault with them. Behold, days are coming. He's telling us there's a new time coming, something different when I will effect a new covenant. And we must understand that what God does is increasingly good. In fact. If we truly are saved by uh, the blood of Christ, we know that even our own actions, our own thoughts, our own persons must become increasingly good. Why is that? Not because we ourselves are increasingly better somehow, but we are increasingly look- looking like Christ. We are more and more like Christ at each moment. And for that reason, we can carry on through this text. And understand what is happening, this new covenant must be increasingly good because it is making men more christ like It is making men something that they are not. in fact, what it is doing it is is taking pieces of broken, decaying man and making them whole again and that is important. It says, "I will affect the new covenant." And it will be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it is unlike, verse 9, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. Again, it is reiterating what is being said in verses 7 and 8. Not like that which was made beforehand. Why? Because it was uh, sort of part and partial because it hasn't released uh, to the believer and the reader of that word the fullness of of the godhead bodily who is christ it hasn't uh, shown the ultimate light over those things yet it was still what we call veiled and what we see is referred to as veiled throughout the old testament and here it says it is not like and and the good news is that it is not like the old covenant uh, for the reasons that we'll see soon as we progress to the passage it is not like the old because it does not rely upon sinful man's keeping of it that is the most important part not only does it not do that but if we'll understand the focus of the old covenant was most certainly to uh, project this foreshadow this copy of jesus as we saw earlier in hebrews uh, these things serving as a copy and a shadow this priestly service of christ as the covenant does the same thing it is also Doing something different than the new covenant. It is revealing sin and death. Whereas we read this morning in our, uh, our catechism. That believing in Christ we may have life in his name. Living. In fact the, the difference in the covenant here. Is that one has life. We must ask which one that is. And it must be quickly answered with the name Jesus. Which covenant contains life well the one that does the most in regards to showing the reader Jesus the Christ Uh, he says again not like the covenant which I made with their fathers what's interesting about this is that this covenant is made with fathers though it is not expressly of course detailed in Genesis it is the very beginning of covenants Uh, it begins of course with those whom they would regard as father, these Jewish minds, this Abraham. And they would go all the way back to Abraham and see that there is now uh, the placement of a covenant that is increasingly pointing us to Christ, yet has not reached its fullness because there is a father in heaven who is declared in his greatness and in his holiness and his righteousness to the fullest extent by the son, Abraham. I mean, by the son, Jesus Christ, rather than this father of Jews, Abraham. So what we see is the the old covenant uh, was previous, uh, of course, before the incarnation of Christ, but not before uh, the living Jesus Christ, who is eternal and who is uh, living forever both before and after the creation and during the creation who has stepped into the time of creation who uh, has transcended if you will time and here is the picture of that in verse 9 not like the old covenant not like what the ancestors received not like what those former jews had received at mount sinai not like what moses had declared something different something Uh, different was to come from this covenant something different was presented in this covenant something different is also required and so we have sort of this threefold model of the difference in the covenant it was relying upon uh holy one party and that would be god And his fulfillment of it. It was providing that which none before it had provided. And it was doing something that none other before could do. And that was, of course, life. Bringing life. Dead bones. Whitewashed sepulchers. Brought, as we said this morning, to this newness of life. This increasingly uh, godly character that will come from the person of Jesus Christ, as it is molding those who understand and those whom the covenant is made with. Now, this is not an entire, uh, an entire family, so to speak, not an entire bloodline, as with the house of Israel and Judah would predominantly in the old testament declare we would think of it as only regarding these but we know that it is also for the jew and for the gentile this was a covenant uh, that is not like one as we see to uh, for god to deliver these people from a captor in which they will cling to him for some years as they wander in the wilderness and then soon find something great and then sort of quit believing or even along the way is. This covenant would show us that God was taking care of his people, this old covenant. And we would see this happening in the time of Moses. They would be delivered from their captives. Yet at every point we see a failing of them to believe. And what we're uh, shown in this picture of the old covenant is the increasingly uh, numerous times in which the fault of man is exposed. For we would uh, cry in the wilderness. We were tired of eating manna. We were thirsty and we wouldn't wait we wanted to bash a rock we're totally insecure with what we have been provided of the lord and we did not trust and that is uh, the basis of that covenant a lacking of trust in god a lacking of course in, of trust in god is most directly attributed to a lacking of the knowing of god the second covenant this final covenant that is the blood of Christ, that is the Lamb of God being Christ himself, uh, bridges all of those large gaps that man will now have life, he will now know God, he will now trust God, and of course that is what the gospel is doing. Uh, Many would say that that is what the gospel is aiming to do, but in fact that is what it it is successful in doing. When we look upon uh, the previous, and we look upon the ancestors uh, before us, those who were being led out of Egypt, those maybe first believers, some maybe even unbelievers. As we see that, we do see some similarities. In fact, this first covenant, there were those being delivered, uh, they were captive, they had no control over their situation, they had a total inability. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what we declare from the gospel of Jesus Christ? That man is totally incapable of not only delivering himself, but even believing in this Jesus the Christ. And they are pictured as children of God being delivered. In fact, that is what the new covenant is consistent, or how it is consistent with the old, is that there is still a captor. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are still captives uh, there is nothing to look forward to in the captivity, but only is there hope in the deliverance. At this point, we see the those similarities presented, and now we understand that this is why we must be called children of God. We are helpless. We are unable. Our inability is exposed, if you will. And then as we begin to understand what happened in times past, we also see that We have never been and and unfortunately will never to the fullest be satisfied with what God is providing. And of course, there lies again another fault with them, he says. Another fault in this first covenant. Uh, There is no... Graciousness on behalf of those being delivered to understand that this wandering in the wilderness, this maybe hungering at times, this thirsting at times is a good thing, much better than remaining behind in this life of captivity. In fact, I, I would say that there's a lot for us to learn from that, that as New Testament believers in this final, greatest covenant that is made in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we should. Adopt the attitude that these ancestors did not have. We should be thankful that the trials, the tribulations, all of these are things that are bringing us from death into life. These are the the provisions of God, the will of God. This is the execution of his divine plan that we may be brought from death into life and in doing that that we may be increasing in a knowledge of God and a trusting in this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, what is declared in the beginning of verse 9 when it says not like this covenant is that all of the failures of man had previously produced an insufficiency with the covenant to do anything meaningful into eternity for man, but that will not be the situation moving forward. In fact, try as you may and sin as you may if you belong to this covenant. If you are covered by it, you cannot be lost. Why? Because God is unwilling, speaking towards the church, unwilling that any should perish. That does not seem to be consistent with that of the Old Covenant. In fact, it is declared uh, in so much as we read these passages from chapter 8. They continued not in this covenant. Because they could not continue in this covenant, why? because this was not a continuing covenant in fact uh, the the parties being represented here are are represented with a limitation because one of these parties are not able to continue. It is sinful man who he whose days are numbered, whose life is but a vapor going uh, throughout the The entire text of Scripture, man will not live forever apart from this Jesus Christ. And so what we understand here is that not only was uh, the covenant limited, it must be limited and it cannot continue because the breaker of the covenant, these thoughtful human beings who are declared in verse eight, because they are present and not able to continue, neither shall this covenant be. That is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a monumental uh, regard of the Lord to see the insufficiencies of this covenant. And he didn't do that after making the covenant. He saw these things long before, and that is why Jesus the Christ was set to be, he was appointed to be this priest. He was appointed to be this heir of all things. He was the creator, the agent of God's creation there from before the beginning because God knew we could not continue if the covenant resided upon man's keeping. In fact, Christ has uh, provided himself this sacrifice because he alone is able to fulfill. It says, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, trusting in the work of the flesh trusting in the deeds of the flesh and he says not like the the day that when i took them by the hand and what we begin to see is there are some similarities there he did take us by the hand we sing it in the hymns when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land there is that similarity that is made there In verse 9, and it's exactly what is pictured in the hymn. But to a a greater degree, because this is not a promised land that is on earth. This is the place where Hebrews declares we may find final, eternal rest in Christ. This is a promised land that will have no sin in it. This is a promised land that will contain no longer sinners. But the righteous of God, those who are now fully robed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He says, I led them out of Egypt for they did not continue in my covenant. He led them out. It basically says because they did not continue. He already knew what was happening. He led them from the captor. Let me say this, that this is a wonderful picture and a copy and a shadow, if you will, of that final covenant in the blood of Christ because he's leading us out because we could not lead ourselves. Because we could not buy any covenant, by any other sacrifice, by any bull or goat or sheep or lamb or dove or pigeon or whatever you had to present to the Lord, finances, money, coins, whatever it was, we could not continue. For the path that we would continue would be a path of sin, a path of unrighteousness it says they did not continue, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. That's altogether different from what we see. Jesus Christ is called here in chapter 7 and chapter 8. This high priest is called a mediator. Do you see that a mediator is not representing the perfect mediator is not representing those without physical spot and blemish. He is presenting them worthy and he is mediating and he is acting as one who will come between and present to us, uh, present to God, us who are blemished by sin as spotless because of his merit. It's an amazing thing when we consider that. There is now care in this second covenant, care beyond all measure, care beyond all understanding care beyond anything that our minds can wrap themselves around new testament even begs the question who would die who would die for a man who would give his life the answer truly is no one could do what jesus christ has done yet the text in chapter 9 says i did not care for them The difference being that there is a continual regard for the life of those who are covered under this second covenant. When we began to read uh, last week in Jeremiah chapter 31, we saw this context from which uh, Hebrews is pulling. In fact, almost word for word, it says, I took them from the hand, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. He's declaring, I took them although they had broke, because they had broke, and I'm leading them to the promised land. I am teaching them to know me. How was he doing that? Well, we saw all along the way that Christ was making himself known. He later declared, I was that man in the wilderness. He is this living water. He's the bread of life. He is this covering cloud. And, of course, all along the way, he is revealing himself, the Father, presenting these opportunities for those who are, uh, if you will, in tune spiritually to the gospel as it has been presented since Genesis. They would see Christ and trust in him. And, of course, uh, that is what we see. Later in verse 34, it says, uh, uh for the least of them to the greatest of them declares the word. For I will forgive their iniquity. This is the difference. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. Now I will forgive their iniquity. Not just some uh, covering like Adam would take and sew for himself. This is not a uh, a one uh, a once every time we sin cover. This is not a throwaway covering. This is a complete, full, lasting garment because it is righteous it is pure it is uh to the center that which is all time covering that is the if you will the favorite clothing of the center well we all have our favorite wardrobe right we have a our favorite shirt our favorite jeans our favorite pair of shoes and what the bible is declaring as we look through hebrews chapter 8 and even with the uh, the differences brought forth in chapter 9 is that the favorite covering of the sinner must be the final covenant of God. The favorite wardrobe of those who knew iniquity and enjoyed it once as they would commit it against God must now enjoy the robe that belongs to the Savior. They must, uh, with, of course, a bittersweet sentiment, enjoy the blood that is covering their transgressions, in which we saw in Jeremiah. I will forgive iniquity. No longer is this not caring for them, but he's saying, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Interesting. Here is the difference of these two being presented to us. I will remember the sin no more. Why is that? It's because this covenant is not like the old. It doesn't move sin aside and place it somewhere else because that is the reality of what had happened. There still remained the need for sacrifice with the Old Covenant. No one went to heaven based upon these animal sacrifices. No one is in the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Father because they had given a, a wonderful animal. They're there because... Christ has given his life, the Lamb of God, and he has given it willingly that it would cover and that God may forget. Not may is a possibility, that it would allow him to be both honest with us about sin, that dying we shall die, and just with sin but of course honoring the payment that is made in the blood of his son you see what the second covenant did is it allowed man to live eternally with god without god being blemished without god being a liar without man trusting in self we wonder why uh, this is present in hebrews why would it speak so much about this covenant well, because this is exactly what we need to hear. This is exactly where man is lacking in knowing God and making him known we are failing in the gospel, and we need to be lifted up with gospel, uh, with gospel text, with gospel implications, those things that are eternal. We need to understand excuse me, how we may continue, and it is not by a first covenant. But it is through the promised Lamb of God, the final covenant. Interestingly enough, God has always, uh, with his own provision, with his own will, with his own power and his own word, provided for man. Both the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, when we see this uh, ingratitude, this indebtedness that man has towards God, that he can never pay with this first covenant we see that it is presented in jesus christ as one that is paid in the full a covenant that will continue and not only does the covenant continue to the end of this age but this covenant causes those keepers or those beneficiaries of it i would rather say it causes them to continue eternally something that the first could not do something that we could not hope for with the first covenant in fact what god is doing is he is breaking down for us like he always has uh, with the gospel our sin and his sufficiency in fact the first covenant was to expose iniquity it is even regarded as a schoolmaster to expose iniquity and what did the first covenant do? It didn't guarantee life, but it shown us the guarantee of death. It shown us the guarantee of the wages of sin. Never did it say, or you can do this, and none of that matters anymore. No, the first covenant declares to us the wages of sin, and it really does uh, show us that there is condemnation. But the second covenant shows us the latter, that there is therefore now no condemnation because it exposes sin. And as it is uh, to continue here, uh, as we read throughout chapter 8, it is to be written now on on our hearts that we may not sin against God. And not only that we may not sin against God, but that we be more like God and that we live as Christ would live. This is... The gospel through its salvation and through its sanctification, enabling us to be as Christ is, enabling us to live as Christ, to take on some of those characters of Christ as we see. He, uh, in Jeremiah, as we read, referred to as being a husband shall i remain this husband unto them and the reality is that with christ he is to the church a husband who does not leave we know that christ was not looking as those uh in his time on earth for a certificate of divorce for a a way out of this marriage in fact he knew that the bride was relying upon him now he Behaves in this second covenant as a true husband unto his bride. He is saving, he is presenting without spot and blemish, he is washing, making clean, he is guaranteeing those things that we do not have, and we must begin to see the awesome wonder of Christ. Those things that those in the wilderness rarely, if ever, thought of this Messiah to come. And now, Um, being privileged to have seen the christ in the flesh some of these apostles and some of these 500 witnesses being apprised to seeing christ in the flesh we may now because of their testimony and because of god's preserved word know that he has come and if we know that he has come once as god has declared we may now as a church know that he will come again as god has declared this is The wonderful part of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ that we know that there is no hope apart from Him and that He is our only hope. Therefore, we as Christians cannot be distracted like the unbelieving world. The unbelieving world is grasping at things, they're grasping at good deeds and giving and all of these sort of sentiments. They're grasping at being able to recite prayers, they're grasping at being able to give up this or give up that, and they're grasping at things to be saved when, in fact, the Christian has, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this new covenant, seen that there is only one mediator between God and man, that there is only one great high priest, that there is only one Son of God, the monogonase, the unique one. There is only one Lamb without spot and blemish. There is only one name under heaven among men, and our attention may be focused focus there the epistle to the hebrews was because men's focus may be distracted unfortunately it may even be distracted by the first covenant it may be distracted by the former when it should be captive to the latter that is what Hebrews is declaring it says verse 10 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people no more if you do this no more if you do that I will says the Lord the most solid of promises the greatest of guarantees that we may hold fast to what we see is that there is a picture of a powerful God even against the will of sinful man saving by grace and teaching by his word and by his son and when he says in verse 10 that he's putting these things into the minds and on the hearts he is declaring that these are not things that they must uh just somehow seek out and find but these are things that will permanently mark the believer the person of christ the second final greatest covenant shall not be something that man should continue to search out and find but once he has been found by the savior he is constantly seeking and it is forever with him this person of christ not only can the believer not be lost but the believer shall not lose his god he shall not lose sight of this jesus the christ and in fact what this is speaking to is simply one thing the fulfillment of christ of every part of god's standard it's exactly what any message of the gospel should declare there is with the first there is an exposing of sin and then there is a revelation of christ and then as we look to christ and see perfection we look to ourselves and see sin we look finally again to christ unto salvation there it is the threefold model of the gospel One purpose, one intent, one salvation, one accredited with all. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 9 and 10 is again simply reminding mankind that there is no salvation apart from God. That there is no good deed apart from God. That there is none... Good, except one. It seems almost funny that some would forget that, even Christians forget that. So, man, he's a he's a great guy. He's a good guy. Uh, We have a tendency to portray upon men attributes that only belong to Christ. Hebrews chapter eight is reminding us. That these are attributes that only apply to Christ. and Only lie with Christ. And if by uh, some will of God. You might uh, be confused as being a good man. Or being a gracious man. Or being a kind man. It is not because you are some powerful man in the flesh. It is because. This final covenant has guaranteed that God is keeping his word. That God is doing the saving. And that when God saves, he doesn't save and just simply bring sinful men into heaven still sinning. He makes them like the Savior. He presents them as the Son. He looks at them as uh, brethren born after the firstborn. And that is Jesus Uh, Quite simply put that uh, he says, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is what it is declaring leaving one captivity for the next. In fact, uh, as we see, these men thought that as as they had left this captivity in Egypt with this old covenant coming into place that they could leave their captors behind and find freedom. And be free to do whatever. In fact the gospel is similar yet contrasting to that. Because it says we may leave the life of captivity to sin behind. And we may be free in Christ. The catch is that when we are free in Christ we are slaves to righteousness. We didn't see that so much in the wilderness. That once they had fled Egypt. And once that God had led them by the hand out of captivity. That they were free and now serving God. They found their freedom as one to sin, as one to do whatever they wish, as one to forget God and his promise, to forget their portion of the fulfillment of this covenant in which it would never be because of its fault fulfilled by man. And in fact, what we do see is that Christ is fulfilling with the second that we have been delivered from sin, that we must be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that as we are, we are, as we said this morning in the bulletin, we are giving our lives as this sacrifice, a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable because it is in Christ by which we work, by which we live all things unto this Christ Christ. When we read over these scriptures, it's quite easy to see them as a story of what those before us had done as simply a history lesson. And we often look at them as more sinful than ourselves uh, in which we must see that there is a priestly service that came into, uh, so, so to speak, inception at this time. And it was serving in a place where Uh, The old covenant was lacking. And we say, yep, those people needed that bad. Let me say this. This is the same great high priest. This is the same covenant. You know why? Because uh, men have this way of uh, building things. And when men were sinning and they thought that they had found every way to sin against God, I would submit to you that we have found even more. At this time when we read this epistle to the Hebrews in which they are reminded that they are called to know God and to make him known because he has made himself known through this final covenant in the blood of his only son that we must as well know that we are to preach the gospel, that we are to live the gospel, that we are to look to this serpent in the wilderness Not to lose sight of this Christ because we are in as much need, if not worse need, than those before us. In fact, like I said last week, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And we are a group, a church even, of chiefs. Many chiefs and no Indians. The cheapest of sinners called to look upon this Jesus Christ and called to know that he is not only Jesus Christ and Savior, but he is exactly what this says, their God, their commander, their holiness. Think about what the word and the title and the person of God is. It doesn't mean that he's just simply over you. We know that that, is, that goes without saying That he is over you, he'll be your God. But not only will he be your God, but we think God is holy. He'll be your holiness. God is righteous, he'll be your righteousness. God is perfect, he'll be your perfection. God is fulfilling in the person of Christ, he'll be your fulfillment. And we begin to see that when he says, I will be their God, he will be all things that the first covenant did not provide. And to know that God in this final covenant must be holiness, righteousness. He must be graciousness. He must be forgiving. He must be merciful. To know that he's all these things is a declaration in and of itself that the first did not have these. That man cannot trust in anything else. Cannot trust in horses or weapons. Cannot trust in riches. Cannot trust in houses and fine land. He must simply trust in the good shepherd sheep don't trust in pastures and sheep don't trust in fences in my house they would be in bad shape i've had one get caught up in a fence before it cost him his life sheep trust in shepherds i believe that hebrews chapter 8 declares that if we are truly sheep we must forever and remember to never forsake trusting in the shepherd let's pray almighty god as we uh, look at your word lord may it be a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path god may it cause us to see christ and to remember christ to know that he is not just some uh, child that was born and who had gone to the cross uh, to forgive and to cover our sins but he was the very god who created in the beginning and that He still is, because of His nature, this unchanging God. That He is a Savior of men. God, that He is one to whom we should look. Lord, if we want to imitate, it must be Christ. If we imitate even the finest of men, we shall fall short of the glory of God. But if we are imitators and partakers The righteousness of Christ, uh, we shall be counted uh, um, amongst the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For all will be bride to Christ. All will be that church, the only ransomed of God. Lord, may may we see the wonders of your creation and the wonders of your salvation, or may we uh, not uh, be faultful in missing out on the the spiritual implications of this text. Lord, let us not look at it simply as a sinful people and a history lesson, but Lord, let us look to it as a warning and as a promise to what we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. For we know that um, He alone is everything that we need. He is all of the things that are absent in every other covenant, Lord, in every other uh, seeking of man, every desire that we have, it may be found in Christ. Fulfillment of all that we must have. Lord, we thank you for our Savior. Lord, we thank you, uh, Jesus, that you were willing to die. Lord, that you were willing to suffer the wrath of men in order that you would suffer again the wrath of God on behalf of those very same men. or we do not fully comprehend why you would save one, Lord, and why you would even allow one into your kingdom. But we know that whatever you have done, it is good. And Lord, we ask that our lives be a testimony unto the power of Jesus Christ, Into the power of his gospel. We ask that you would bless our fellowship together and uh, bless the meal as we partake in just a few moments, Lord, and that all things will be done uh, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.